Wouldn't you agree that we get caught up in the trivialities of life? What shall we eat? What shall we drink? A latte or a cappuccino? (laughs) What should we wear? You know, we aim way too low. Sometimes a day is about surviving rather than thriving, isn't it? If I can just get through today instead of if I can only dance today, if I can only praise, if I can only embrace this day as a glorious day for the Lord. We ask for only small things because our expectation gets so small. We ask for $5 instead of the riches of heaven. We expect God to work within the confines of our resources or what we can see as possibilities. We expect too little. We only ask God for the things that seem achievable in our mind. You know, save Uncle Bob, he's close. But you know, the other uncle, he's so far away, it's all right. I've given up on him too, Lord. We're only asking God for what we see as achievable. We look only at the things of life. We're looking at the material and the physical. And we're forgetting about the realms of glory. We're seeing the army that's invaded our town and we don't see the chariots of fire that are on the mountaintops. We get bogged down, literally bogged down by the little things. It's, it's these little things that make us think maybe we've lost the glory. Maybe God doesn't love us because my washing machine is not working. So maybe God's through with me. I broke a fingernail. It means the devil won today. You know, I have to make an extra trip to the market. What sin is in my life that I haven't confessed? Don't we? Don't we let these little, tiny, itty-bitty things Block our perspective of God and the glory. You know, we we judge circumstances. We judge God by ourselves, whether we're deserving or undeserving. And we forget that we serve the God that raises the dead. We get angry and we get frustrated. We let people have too much of a say in our lives. We let people define who we are or how we're supposed to feel. That's too little. God, the resurrection is our definition of life. We are the resurrected. We are now eternal beings. We get upset because of someone's reaction to us. We don't even know that person. We don't know that driver. We get hurt because of an unkind word that was said to us. We obsess about things that happened or were emailed or on Facebook or tweeted yesterday. I remember being in England, being on a train. I got in a fight with my oldest daughter, which was a common thing in those days. It's very uncommon now, now that she's married and has children. But we used to, you know, we used to get in these, just these storms. And I would go around feeling totally uncondemned, like I needed to quit the ministry because I got in a fight with my daughter. Ever do that? 
You're going to let the little things. I mean, teenagers fight. This is part of their nature. But I took it so personally because she's my first. And I took it so personally. Every time we had a fight, I was ready to quit the ministry. I, I disqualified myself. Fought with teenager. Number one reason for quitting ministry. And I remember I was telling this woman, because I was about to speak at this women's brunch, all the reasons why I probably shouldn't speak at the women's brunch. Of course, I only had one reason. I fought with my teenager, who insisted on coming to the brunch to hear me speak. It's like, what? I was telling her, you don't want to come. It's me. I'm the speaker. Yes, I do. No, you don't. You fought with me yesterday. Remember, you disqualified me from motherhood, from being a wife, you know, from being in the ministry. And I remember I was telling this woman, who was a friend of mine, she looked at me and she says, well, that was yesterday. It's like, yeah, but it's still with me today. And she's like, no, it was yesterday. Like, put it down, bury it. And I was like, you can do that? You can reconcile it to yesterday? Yo, because yesterday all my troubles seemed so far away. (laughs) Now they look as though they're here to stay. (laughs) See, I, I do quotes. This is what happens to us. We get bogged down by the trivialities. In John chapter five, we see a man at the pool of Bethsaida who was bogged down by trivialities. He is in the midst of a whole company of sick people. But his expectation and his aims are so low. And Jesus comes to this man and he asks him one question. Do you want to be made whole? Now, this man doesn't say yes. That's, that's the right answer, isn't it? Do you want to you be made whole? Yes. But this is not where this man goes. Because why? His expectations are way too low. He's aiming so low. So he starts explaining to Jesus. Now, imagine, he who is the resurrection and the life is standing this man, saying, do you want to be made whole? And this man is saying, yes, in a way. I want to be put in that pool. I want someone to help me. I, I just want assistance to get in that pool before anybody else does. Instead of aiming high and just saying yes, he's asking instead of healing for help. He's asking to beat out the competition. He's asking for a mythology or a myth about some angel to be the reality. He is aiming way too low. Because the issue is healing. The issue is, do you want to be whole? And Jesus is standing before him saying, rise, take up your bed and walk. It's that simple. It's that powerful. It's that direct. But many of us are like that man. Our aim is too low. Our expectation is too slight. And we don't realize and we forget and we lose sight of the greatness of our God who raises the dead. Our problem is our low estimation of God. We exalt our our trials. We exalt our tribulations. We exalt all the things, the material things around us. And we degrade our God. We forget about the greatness of the one who stretched out the sky, who created oxygen, who created atmosphere, who created the mesosphere and the stratosphere and the troposphere 
who created trees, phylum in the trees, who created systems, who created our bodies and our anatomy and eyes and sinews and flesh. We forget about the greatness of our God. We forget what our God has done. We lose sight of who our God is. And we forget the awesome power of the one who said, let there be light, and there was light. The Sadducees were men who didn't know the glory and power of their God. They come to Jesus, and we're told of this in Mark chapter 12, with a hypothetical situation. It's interesting. I've been watching um, on YouTube, I've been watching a lot of um, debates between Richard Dawkins and um, John Lennox, uh, between um, Tim Keller and other men. He goes, uh, Tim Keller goes to these universities. They're called Veritas Conferences, not to be confused with the Veritas that comes out of Marietta. But these conferences, he goes and he debates atheists and he answers the questions of college students concerning God. And I was watching one of these debates and this man was saying, what about the millions and millions of you know, Hindus and Muslims and Buddhists who are full of integrity but perishing in their beliefs and their sincerity? What would you say about that? And I was, I was listening to this and I was thinking, oh my goodness, I mean, there's so many assumptions in this question. We're assuming that none of these people have had any contact with God. We're assuming that there have been no dreams, no encounters, no personal revelation. We're assuming that they all have integrity, which I don't think anyone without God has any integrity. We're assuming that there's millions upon millions and they have no hunger, no thirst, that they're absolutely content with the way they are. There's so many uh, assumptions. Talk about a loaded question. Talk about a hypothetical situation. And that's what these Sadducees, and we're told that they don't believe in the resurrection of the dead and they come to Jesus and they say, okay, there's this woman and she marries seven times. She never has any children by these brothers and then she dies, and of course, all these men are dead by now because of what she was feeding them. See, now, if you lose seven husbands that are all brothers, either there's a genetic defect in the family, or else this woman is a murderer, so you don't have to worry about her being in heaven anyway. I mean, wouldn't you be suspicious? Especially brother number six, I wouldn't eat anything that she was giving me. It's like, no, no, you eat it first. Let me watch you. How do you react to rat poisoning? You know, it's, there's something suspicious here, but here's this hypothetical situation. They've made it up, and now they're presenting it to Jesus, and, and they think they've got Jesus with this situation. They said, all right, if there is a resurrection of the dead, see, you can't have a resurrection of the dead because look at this situation. God wouldn't know what to do with this woman or who she belonged to. I mean, isn't this a big problem for God? Who do I give this woman to in heaven? Isn't it funny how, how we make these, these just strange, man-made hypotheses, these problems for God? And Jesus looked at them and he said, you know what, you've made two mistakes. Here are your two mistakes. One, you don't know the scriptures. And two, you don't know the power of God. When we don't know the scriptures, the promises of God, 
and we don't reckon with those promises, the power of God, we're going to be mistaken. We are going to go through life with low aims and low expectations. That's what's going to happen to us unless we realize that we serve the God who, according to scriptures, according to the promise of scripture, raises the dead. That's the power of our God. Paul understood this power and this power of his God and and the scriptures combined in Paul in such a way that he was unintimidated. He aimed high. his, his, His prayers were limitless. He prayed great prayers and he called down great things from God. And he saw God do great things because he knew the scriptures and he knew the power of God. When he stood before Herod, Herod Agrippa. Now, Herod Agrippa was in charge of the treasury. He was Herod Agrippa II. He was the great-grandson of the Herod the Great. But when he stood in front of this assembly, um, Paul was, he said, "I, I do most happily make my appeal to you, Herod. Why? Because Herod knew about Jewish customs. He had been put over by Rome over the Jewish treasury. He was in charge of all the money that went to the temple. He knew about the temple rituals, regulations, and practices. He knew about Jewish law. He knew about Jewish history. He was acquainted with the testimony of Jesus. It was before Herod Agrippa, the the first that had put to death James. It was another Herod relative that Jesus had appeared before who had taken off the head of John the Baptist. It was his great-grandfather that had killed all the children in Bethlehem, hoping, hoping to keep Jesus, the Messiah, from becoming the king of the Jews. So you see, the Herod, the Herodian family, had had an issue with Jesus from Jesus' birth. These things were not hidden from this Herod. He knew And the greatest threat to the Herodian dynasty was Jesus and the testimony of Jesus. Now, this is a great assembly that Paul is brought in before. And we find out about this great assembly in Acts chapter 26. We're told that Bernice, Herod's sister, with whom he had an incestuous relationship, Festus, this Roman governor, And prominent figures from Caesarea were all present in this huge auditorium. And Herod and Bernice had entered in with pomp, great pomp, as the notables of the day. Here comes a king into the midst of the auditorium. And they are honored and the the whole assembly rises until they take their seats. And, And there's performance and there's ritual. And they're seated, and the whole court is seated. And then they march this prisoner in, Paul, the prisoner, the one in chains. And yet, who? Who is seated? Who is there to give an audience to Paul? You see, the audience is not gathered 
for Herod or Bernice. The audience is not gathered for Festus, but this whole assembly of notables has all gathered to hear Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Paul sees the opportunity at this moment, in this time, to look at Herod in this great assembly and challenge him with the greatest question, the greatest challenge ever thrown before a king. He asks him in Acts 26, verse 8, why should it be thought incredible to you that God should raise the dead? Here is this Herod, the king, and Paul is saying, your aim is too low. Your expectations are too slight because if you don't believe in a resurrection from the dead, here's life as good as it's going to get. This is it. As Paul would say in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, if we have hope in this life only, we are of all men most miserable. If this is as good as it is, gets. And we have to deal with aging. And we have to deal with lines, not on our face, but you know, lines at markets too. All lines. We have to deal with lines all over the world and wherever they come. We have to deal with traffic. We have to deal with deficiencies. If this is as good, and you know, we have in the United States, we have life better than just about every country in the world. We have the best of life. I mean, most countries, people don't own cars. And granted, most of you probably have two cars in your garage or driveway. And most people in the world don't even have a car. They don't know what it is to own their car. Let alone we have houses. We have running water. We have bottled water. We have bathtubs. We have luxury. And yet, I think you would say to me, if this is the best that we can expect out of life, and even when you do get a glorious moment, it passes. It passes. Just a few days ago, Brandon and I went up to Santa Barbara for a getaway. And I was looking at the ocean, and I was like, I want to take you in. You know what I mean? You're looking at this beautiful scene going, I'm going to have to leave this scene. Tomorrow, I won't be looking at an ocean. And you're just like, how do I enjoy it any more than I am enjoying it right now? How do I take this with me? It's over. It's over. And those that have died, if this is all that it is, no hope that we will ever see those who have died, that they are gone out of our life forever. And this is it. We are of all men most miserable. And our expectations are so low. And our pursuits are so few and so small. But if we are dealing with a God that raises the dead, then everything becomes infused with glory and possibility. And our expectations begin to explode. 
There are no impossibilities with our God. Everything that is seen and unseen was made by the word of his mouth. We got word for, about a friend of ours that we dearly love who has just been a powerhouse in England that the cancer has spread out of his bladder into his entire body. And Brian looked at me and he said, you know what? Even at this point, we still have hope. Not because of chemotherapy, not because of radiation, not because our expectation is on doctors, but because our expectation is upon God who raises the dead. So we continue to have hope, hope for this life and hope for the life to come because we serve the one who gives life to the dead. He not only created life, but God breathed into his creation. He gives his creation animation. Think about it. When Jesus was going into Jerusalem and these Sadducees, These Pharisees were saying, hey, stop the people from crying out these praises. And Jesus said to these men, if they would stop praising me, the very rocks would become animated. God would give animation to these rocks and they would begin to cry out because he is the God who raises the dead, because he is the God who gives life and breath to every living thing. This is the type of thing we should expect from our God. Are your expectations too low today? Have you been aiming so small? Have your pursuits been so slight because you forgot? You forgot or you've been just blindsided by the things that are in this world that want to block your view? that want to keep you from seeing or knowing or experiencing the God who raises the dead. The only accusation that the governor, Festus, could ascertain against Paul was that he alleged that he affirmed that Jesus had died and was alive. This is the, this is the accusation. This is why Paul was in prison. This is what he was mobbed for. This is what he was on trial for. This one hope, this one, this one thing that Paul would not budge on. Paul said, leave me in prison. Put me before whatever counsel you want, but I'm going to affirm to you that Jesus is alive and risen from the dead and the grave could not hold him. And I will stand on that premise And I will go through life and my expectations will be great because I know that God raised Jesus from the dead. It was this proclamation. It was this understanding. It was this word, this glorious revelation that caused Paul to aim higher, expect greater things, pursue eternal realities, and kept him from obsessing about the injustice of his trial, the notables of life, or his imprisonment. This is what the glory of Jesus' resurrection from the dead is to do for all of us. It is to cause us to aim higher, expect greater things, and pursue eternal 
realities. This is the effect that the resurrection of Jesus from the dead should have. This is the perspective that we need so desperately to grasp because without this perspective, we will be tripped up again and again by the little things. Our pursuits will be mundane. We will never ever grasp or understand what the scriptures are trying to tell us or the power of God that is available to us. And then we will be mistaken about everything. We will be left among the dying. We will be helpless against the circumstances of our lives. We will live as victims, 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 victims. We will be waiting on our mats for something to happen that will never happen. And we will be lame, never receiving from God the great things he wants to do. But Paul lived in the reality of a God who raises the dead. And I love the fact that Paul says, why should this be incredible? (laughs) This is an easy thing. This is not incredible for God. Paul lived in the realm where this, the resurrection of the dead was not incredible. It was not something too far-fetched to believe. Why? Because Paul himself had experienced the power of God. He had met, seen, and heard the resurrected Jesus while he was on the road to Damascus. He had felt the transforming power in his own life. He had been dead in his trespasses and sins. He had been a blasphemer, zealous, hostile, volatile. And he had been transformed by the same power into a servant of Jesus, passionate for Jesus, loving, patient, and persevering. Paul also knew the scriptures He not only knew the power of God, but he knew the scriptures. He knew that God throughout the Old Testament, through the patriarchs, through Moses, through the prophets, in the Psalms, had promised a Messiah. God had foretold that Jesus, the Messiah, would suffer and rise again. God had communicated this to the forefathers. He had communicated it through the sacrifice of Isaac in Genesis chapter 22, through the story of Joseph in Genesis 37 through 47. He had given them these visual pictures of what he himself would do with his son. He had given these promises to the 12 tribes of Israel. He then had spoken by the prophets, by Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Daniel, Speaking of the Messiah and the resurrection from the dead, we're told in Daniel that the Messiah would be cut off, but not for himself. And yet he would be that rock coming from the mountain that would crush every other dynasty, every other government, and then become a great mountain where all the world would worship. This understanding of the power of God and the promises of the scripture caused Paul to have higher plans. I love these higher plans because we see here in Acts chapter 25, Paul is done with dealing with these Sadducees. He's done in Israel. His work is over. 
For two years, he has lingered in prison. Before that, throughout his ministry, we see that he's always aiming to get back to Jerusalem. He wants to tell the people of God about their resurrected Messiah. And he has told them. And because of this, they feel that he is not fit to live. And after rehashing over and over again, after proclaiming his innocence, he says, I'm done. I am absolutely done. Their accusations were false. They had no witnesses. There was no proof. These were the lesser things, the trivialities of life. And Paul says, I am done. I am done. I I love that saying, put a fork in me. I am done. I am done. Two years while Paul was in prison and chains, these men down in Jerusalem obsessed about Paul. It was not enough to have him chained. It was not enough to have him in the hands of the Gentiles. They, they, these men, they could not be reasoned with. They could not be persuaded or dissuaded. They remained on their mats, lame, frustrated, never being able to succeed. This is where they were. For two years, they hadn't changed. Two years. Um, we're told that these men would be satisfied with nothing less than Paul's death. Constantly, their minds were taken up with how they could plot and plan his demise. Acts 25, verse 3. Immediately when they heard that Festus was in Jerusalem, they sought him out to speak with him about dealing with Paul and eradicating Paul's life. They were still planning ambushes and their time was consumed with destruction. With with these little things. I mean, think about it. Here's this council, it's huge. Here's the elite of Jerusalem. And they're obsessed with one man who's in chains. This one man, Paul, is the greatest threat to this Jerusalem council. And he's in prison. And he's being held by the Gentiles. And they still can't take it. Why? Why? Because Paul spoke the words of truth and reason. Because Paul believed in the hope of their fathers and the patriarchs. And they wanted to deafen their ears to the truth. And they had so hardened their hearts. And they thought if they could just get rid of Paul, all their problems would be over. Isn't that so like the world we live in today? That we're the problem? You know, to so many political systems, it's Christians that are the problems. They blame us for everything, don't they? There's war, must be a Christian. You know, those gun-toting Christians. It's like, no. No, you got these problems because you got problems. Because you don't serve a resurrected Lord. They want our health. They want our happiness. Without our Savior, it's not going to happen. And they, they think that if they just get rid of Christians, everything will be all right. No, because then they'll be left with themselves. That's what the tribulation is all about. They're left with themselves. Paul had higher aims. He is through defending himself. He's through. It's time to go to Rome. It's higher aims. It's moving on. Some of you have been going through things for two years or longer. You're dealing with people who, and situations that will not change. 
They are what they are, what they are. These people have hardened their hearts and it's over. It's time to aim higher. It's time to move on from Israel and to go to Rome. It's time to appeal to Caesar. It's just time. It's time. And that's what Paul's saying. It's time. I serve the resurrected Lord. And he says, it's time to go to Rome. And so Paul gives to Festus and Agrippa his going to Rome ticket, his voucher to go to Rome. It's time. Paul was through dealing with unreasonable men. In 2 Thessalonians 3 verses 1 and 2, Paul says, he asked the believers there to pray that he would be delivered from unreasonable men. And that's what he's doing right here. He's being delivered from unreasonable men. Time to move on to greater things. Next, Paul trusted in bigger promises. Bigger promises. You know, sometimes we just choose the little promises out of the Bible to believe. You know, we're like, well, this one's doable in my life. I can see that happening. We're supposed to claim the big promises. All these promises we're told in 2 Corinthians, all the promises of God are in Christ and they are yes and so be it or let it be done. Amen means so let, let it be done. All the promises are in Christ. Big promises. Paul was claiming all those big promises. Not just the little ones. He was like going for all of it. You know, it's time to start claiming all the promises of God. All of them. Big, little, in between. All the promises of God that are in Christ Jesus. Paul was claiming the promises of the patriarchs. These ancient promises. He was claiming these promises that were passed down from the patriarchs throughout centuries. These promises that Jacob said, I want this promise more than I want the material possessions of my father Isaac. I want the blessing. I want the heritage of the Messiah. I want this promise. This is the promise that Jacob deceived his brother for, that he deceived his father for. This is what, that he ran away with nothing, that he might just have this promise, the blessing of God. This is the promise that Jacob looked forward to. This is an enduring promise, endured through centuries, sustained the patriarchs, sustained the people of Israel, sustained the prophets. This is the promise, the resurrection of the dead that they held onto and lived by. Their enduring promises, their life-sustaining promises. These promises were powerful because they were given by God who is able to do the impossible. These promises are by the God who raises the dead, who has no limitations. As Jesus said, with men, it is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. These are the promises of God who will and will not fail to accomplish his will. And these promises were both public and private. 
These promises were public in that they were available to anyone who would believe in Jesus. Paul offered these promises, this promise of God to open the eyes of the blind, to to be turned from the power of darkness to light and the power of Satan to the power of God to receive the forgiveness of sins, an inheritance along with the saints. This promise, these promises Paul said are offered. He offered them to the council, to the notables in Caesarea. He offered them to Felix. He offered them to Festus. He offered them to Herod and to Bernice and to all who heard him that day in the auditorium. But they're also private promises Because Paul had heard personally from the Lord Jesus on the road to Damascus and then also in his cell as he was imprisoned in Jerusalem. So Paul had greater aims, better promises, but he also had a greater power because Paul proclaims a transforming power in his testimony before Herod. This is the power that Paul believed in, that Paul knew. He knew in his own life that God could raise the dead because of the way he had absolutely changed Paul. Paul said, these men, if they would be honest, they know what I was. They know my testimony. I was a figure to be reckoned with in Jerusalem. I was a Pharisee and the son of Pharisees. He was part of this strictest sect and an inherent of the law. He shut up in prison the saints. He had authority from the chief priest to persecute and arrest. He cast his vote to put Christians to death. He punished believers in every synagogue. He compelled believers to blaspheme. He was exceedingly enraged. He's like, you guys obsessed for two years? I was exceedingly enraged. And he said he even persecuted beyond the borders of Jerusalem. In other words, he's saying to Herod, I know those guys who keep coming against me, who want my death to seem bad, but they're nothing compared to what I was. And it all changed when he met the risen Messiah. You see, nothing but a God who was risen from the dead could change somebody like Paul. A dead religious figure could not transform a blasphemer. An icon, a myth, could not change a persecutor into an evangelist. Nothing less than a resurrected God. Nothing less than the power of a God who raises the dead could transform a man like Paul. And then Paul goes on to tell Herod the experience when he met the risen Messiah, when he heard the risen Messiah, when he saw the risen Messiah. Isn't it interesting that after Paul saw Jesus, he was blinded to all else? Isn't that what happens? You know, right now we're talking about we see everything but the risen Lord. That's our problem, isn't it? We see everything but the risen Lord. But Paul saw the risen Jesus and everything else became black and darkness to him because he saw the risen Lord. A great light shone around him at noonday, brighter than the noon sun. And he fell to the ground and Jesus spoke to him and said, I am Jesus. 
whom you are persecuting. I am that I am. I am living. I am the resurrection. I am alive. I am Jesus. And Paul was immediately transformed by this power. Who are you, Kurios? Who are you, Lord? And the Lord spoke to him and said, rise, stand on your feet. Just like the man, rise, take up your mat and walk. So Jesus is saying to Paul, rise, stand on your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose. And here's the purpose. You see, he's got a higher aim. He's got better promises. He's got a greater power. And now he's got greater pursuits. Having met the risen Lord, Paul's pursuits in life changed radically. Where he had been an agent of death, he will become an agent of resurrected life. An angel of death. Agent of death to an agent of life. He is made a minister and a witness of both the things he had seen and the things that Jesus would reveal to them. He would now open the eyes of the world. You know, you've been to Israel. Now it's time to go to the world. It's time to take this message further to the greatest reaches. He would turn men from the power of darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God. What a pursuit. No longer just, I'm not guilty, I'm not guilty, I'm not guilty. No witnesses, no proof. Don't you ever get so tired of defending yourself? You know, it's hard to defend scum. I know what I am inside. And it's like, okay, so I got one right. Am I really going to stand on that and defend that till the rest of my life? It's funny because people always pick on the things I'm not. I could give them so much better ammunition against me than the things they choose. It's like, I didn't do that, but I could tell you what I did do. I could tell you the things I am embarrassed about, the things that I have to pour the blood of Jesus Christ over in my life. That just doesn't happen to be one of them. (laughs) I can give you 10. Paul is so tired of defending himself and God saying, we're going to move on, Paul, to greater things, greater pursuits. We're going to start opening eyes up. We're going to start turning men from the power of darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God. You're going to see transformed lives, and you're going to be a part of it. You're going to watch men receive the forgiveness of sins, and you're going to see them begin to get the inheritance that is theirs as a child of God, the inheritance that belongs to those who are sanctified by their good works. Oh, no, 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 I'm sorry sanctified by their goodness. Oh, wait, no, 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 no. The inheritance of those who are sanctified by faith. This is ours by faith. We only have to believe in Jesus and these things become ours. You know, as I was reading my Bible this morning, God spoke to me and he said, I have one and only one expectation for you. It's the same expectation he has for you. Now, God expects so little of our good works. He says, they're filthy rags. You know, forget your good works. It's not working for me. He says, I have one thing I want of you. What does he want? What is Jesus, one of us? He wants our faith. He wants us to believe that he is the God that has risen from the dead. 
that his father is the God that raises the dead. That is, he is so we will be. He wants faith. You know, I, there is only one time that we see Jesus marveling. Now, we know that Jesus knew the heart of all men. He needed that no one should testify in what is in the heart of man because he knew the heart of man. But it said when he went to Nazareth that he marveled at their unbelief. That God is just like, what? You don't believe? I gave you the sky. I gave you the trees. I gave you a transformed life. I keep answering your prayers and you don't believe? You don't believe? I raised Jesus from the dead and you don't believe? Believe. Believe what you see. Believe what you hear. Believe what your heart is saying. It's true. It's true. It's true. Just believe. And as you believe, your aims will get higher. Your expectations greater. Your pursuits will become eternal and powerful as you just believe. I was reading this morning, Luke chapter 24, one of my favorite chapters in the Bible, but I say that about a lot of chapters, so beware. Don't write that down because it could change tomorrow. But you know, that road to Emmaus, don't you just love that road to Emmaus with Cleopas and the other disciple? And as they're walking and Jesus says, oh, foolish and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have written, that the Messiah must suffer and die and rise again from the dead. Oh, slow of heart. Oh, foolish. Oh, how low our expectations get, our aims, our pursuits, the power in our lives. Why? Because we lose sight of the fact that our God is the God that raises the dead. And we gain an inheritance when we simply believe. Simply believe. Paul got to proclaim the greatest news ever. He said in verse 22 and 23 of chapter 26, Therefore, having obtained help, this power from God, To this day, I stand witnessing, here's the pursuit, both to small and great, saying no other things than those which the prophets and Moses said would come, that Christ, the Messiah, would suffer, that he would be the first to rise from the dead and would proclaim light to the Jewish people and to the Gentiles. Paul was interested in far more than simply defending himself. He wanted to get on with the great stuff, with the big stuff, to see men all over the world transformed by the power of the gospel. How superior was Paul's pursuit to that of the Sadducees? Because Paul was thriving, even in prison. He was thriving. Paul was ready to move on and to proclaim the resurrected Messiah to the world. Paul was ready because he knew the scripture. He knew God's word and he knew the power of God's word. He knew Jesus as the eternal reality. 
and everything else became trite and trivial because it was passing away. The premise of the resurrection for Paul was not hard to fathom. And it wasn't hard for Herod to fathom either. He said, Paul, almost you persuade me. Festus said, Paul, you're mad. You're too smart. That's your problem. You're too smart. Isn't that amazing? I wish that was my problem. Cheryl, you're just too smart. (laughs) Nobody ever said that to me. Go down a record. Nobody has ever said, too much learning has made you mad. But even Festus was saying, Paul, you're so intellectual. You're so brilliant. But your brilliance has led you to this conclusion that God raises the dead. And Herod said, you almost persuade me. You've you've almost got me there. But you know what? Herod held on to the trivialities of life. He had a little kingdom and he was all right with his little kingdom. He was all right with just having Israel and they didn't even like him there. But he was all right with that. He was all right with the pomp that he got out of Israel. Where Paul said, no, I want the world for Jesus. Herod was content with his limited power that he had over the temple. And even that was limited. He was content with his vanishing prestige. Herod lost everything just a few years later when Jerusalem was destroyed by Titus and his kingdom and his dynasty died with Herod and he was forgotten and he had nothing because he was almost persuaded but not persuaded. These great prominent men of their day are only significant in history because of their encounter with Paul who proclaimed eternal realities. They died and were forgotten because they never embraced the God who raises the dead. But Paul lives today, not only in the realms of glory in heaven, not only with my dad, my grandma, but also in the epistles he wrote and that we get to read. Aren't these eternal words? As you go to the Pauline epistles, aren't they relevant for life today? Aren't they just amazing? Isn't Paul alive? And isn't it sometimes as if he's just talking to you and like, how do you know me so well? But he also lives through the witness he gave in Acts. Paul aimed for higher plans. He didn't stay bogged down in the trivialities or in his self-defense. He didn't remain with unreasonable men. He had better promises, big promises, humanly impossible promises, things only the God who raises the dead could accomplish. He had stronger power. He did not live in what he could do. He wasn't bound by chains or by soldiers. He had the power of the resurrection surging through his life. And he went on to greater pursuits, eternal work, eternal epistles. Work that would not be wiped out by wars and governments and councils. Today, if you are getting bogged down by the little things, if you find yourself dealing with the same unreasonable counsels, if you're only trusting for God, you're only trusting God for the doable or what is in 
your realm of possibilities. If you're asking God only to strengthen you to do what you need to do, and you're not asking him for strength for things you cannot do, you are, your aim is too slow, too low, and too slow, both. Your expectations are way too small. Your power is way too limited. And your pursuits are degraded. Are your prayers predicated on the transforming power of God? Are you living only in the realm of your strength, energy, and resources? Are your pursuits mundane and earthy? It's time to grip this reality that we serve the God who raises the dead. Everything in life pales before this reality. No counsel can stand. No pomp can endure. No audience can intimidate. No one can stop the purposes of God. Grasp this reality and you will move on to better, greater things, the things that accompany salvation. There's a song, and I'm going to change the lyrics only slightly, but it says, Rise up, O woman of God, have done with lesser things. Give heart and soul and mind and strength to serve the King of Kings. When you grasp the reality that we serve a God that raises the dead, you will have done with lesser things. It will no longer be about defending yourself. It will be about proclaiming the everlasting gospel, the gospel that gives life to the dead. Why should you think it incredible that God should raise the dead? If this premise seems incredible, then your perspective is too small. And you will remain on your mat, waiting for the water to stir, watching others get to the places you want to go before you. You will remain lame and unable to walk and never realize the resurrection and life that is speaking to you. But grasp this reality that your God raises the dead and this is nothing He's going to raise every dead person to life. Even the sea will give up their dead before God. And heaven will open. Mountains will become plains before you. Impossibilities will become the stepping stones of your walk with God who raises the dead. Why should it seem incredible to you that God raises the dead. Let's pray. Lord, you know, you know these places, you know these councils, you know these trivialities. Lord, you know the things that have been weighing us down. You know how the chains seem to have weighted us down. And Lord, it's time to be free. It's time to aim higher, to expect greater things, to surge with the power of the resurrected Lord and to pursue greater realities. God, we are asking by the power of the resurrected Jesus Christ to have done with lesser things. Lord, to move forward, to go on to the world and proclaim 
the light of Jesus Christ. Lord, we pray right now that you would open eyes, that you would turn people from the power of darkness to the power of light, from the power of Satan to the power of God. Lord, that you would forgive sins. And Lord, that you would give others an inheritance with us, the saints of light. Oh God, oh God, move in our hearts that we might grasp the reality that you are the God that not only raises the dead, but have raised Jesus Christ from the dead as the first fruit of all those who believe in you. Thank you that he who is the resurrection and the life lives in us and we have eternal life right now through Jesus Christ. Thank you, God. Help us to grasp this reality in Jesus' name. Amen.